Uh, well, good afternoon. Um, I'm delighted to welcome you um, to this afternoon's webinar, uh, looking at good governance and whether a standard for good governance uh, can make a difference. Um, we're really, really pleased to welcome uh, Dr. Victoria Hearth, Fellow of the Institute of Sustainability Leadership at the University of Cambridge, um, who um, has done an enormous amount of work, um, mostly on a voluntary basis, I think, um, to work towards um, you know, developing standards for, for, for governance. Um, I'd like to, before we kick off and pass over to Victoria for a presentation, I'd like to thank our sponsors, um, and in particular, um, those that let us range far and wide uh, over a whole range uh, of topics um, to do with technology, to do with science, economics, finance, uh, and today dealing uh, with governance standards. Um, so a bit more about Victoria. Um, works most of her time, it tells me here, um, for the University of Cambridge, both at the, at the Institute of Sustainability Leadership and as a visiting fellow at uh, the Judge Business, Business School. And really is uh, here today to talk about uh, the development of ISO 37000. Um, the first global consensus standard on organisational govern governance um, and is also working on a lot of um, you know, parallel projects uh, around indicators of effective governance, uh, purpose-driven organisations uh, and sustainability. Um, and so really it, it's a pleasure, um, Victoria, to welcome you this afternoon. Uh, very much looking forward to uh, your presentation um, and um, the, the floor is yours. Over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Um, I'll just share my screen. So you should be able to see my slides now. Is that all coming up clearly your end, Mike? Uh, yes, that's fine. Thank you. And you can hear me fine, yeah? All good. Brilliant. Okay. Well, uh, I'll be speaking for 20 minutes and then we'll move over to to a discussion. So I'll set my timer because uh, this is a topic that it's very easy to go over on uh, given its breadth and its depth. So this is a case for ISO 37000. Uh, I don't know how many of you have, have heard of it. It was released in September as I will talk about, uh, but in terms of its significance, it's still very young, uh, you might say, in, in the, the impact that uh, I feel that it will make. So uh, I'm going to uh, cover three major points in this 20 minutes. So firstly, I'm going to talk about the inflection point that we're in, in terms of the paradigm of business and therefore governance, because we really need to go broad and deep in, in, in sort of setting out that scene in order to be able to understand the significance of 37,000 in terms of where we've come from, where we are now and, and where we're heading. Uh, I'm going to be talking secondly about the fact that within this inflection point, we are at a period of great fragmentation and noise, that sort of peak moment you get before you start to consolidate energy. And we are starting to see consolidation for the last year or so happen quite rapidly in this space. And really 37,000 is a very important and remarkable in a way part of that journey and the fact that it took five years to develop and it exists um, we're not starting that process we, we have it now as a tool is quite an important uh, part of the the stage that we're in i would say um 
And then I'm going to make the point that how far and fast 37,000 can take us in terms of the kind of governance that we need to start bringing about quite rapidly is really, it's endogenous, it's, it's in our hands. Um, but I'm gonna go through a few of the key ways in which I can see 37,000 starting to really influence things and the way in which we can all um, support in a way the, the onset of the governance we need and uh, using 37,000 as a tool to help us to do that. So firstly, um, we're at an inflection point in the paradigm of business and hence governance. Uh, unfortunately, this isn't an interactive session, otherwise I'd love to know how many of you agree with this statement, but I spend a lot of my time, vast majority of my time, talking with a wide range of uh, executives um, from different types of organizations and at different levels. And um, uh, within the groups that I speak to, certainly, this is increasingly not a dramatic statement. It is not a surprise. It is not something that people disagree with. Um, and there seems to be a general consensus that that's where we're at. But I'm just going to show you now the way in which um, I've spent about 20 years really trying to understand this paradigm that we've come from of business, its role in the unsustainability we face and therefore the nature of the shifts that are being asked for and that I see happening. Uh, and the, I, I've, I've arrived at uh, what I think is the simplest representation of that whole story. And really it's going back to one of the founders of sustainability thinking, you might say, which is Herman Daly, one of the uh, renowned uh, ecological economists of our time. And he presented a triangle uh, as a way to represent the nature of the problems at the very heart of business. And I will argue therefore at the heart of governance and through an adaptation to that triangle, I uh, will tell the story about where I think governance is going. And just to say that triangle was also something that Donella Meadows, obviously, you know, hugely significant systems thinker, her and her colleagues uh, who reviewed a whole range of uh, ways of trying to represent this also decided that this triangle was probably the simplest and easiest way to describe what's going on. So you'll see this across a lot of my work um, and a lot of the work that I influence uh, and because it's really not owned by anyone, I feel that this is something that we can all sort of get behind because the more clarity that we have and a shared sense of framework and understanding, the easier and quicker we can get on with the actual, the uh, hard work of delivering all of this change. So this is the triangle. Um, and the point uh, that, that Daly made was really that the, the business as usual the sort of 50, 60 years of the sort of form, the type of capitalism that we have brought around, mainly in the West, but exported worldwide, uh, is very much focused on intermediate means uh, in order to produce intermediate ends, uh, in order to bolster intermediate means. And so it goes around in a cycle. Uh, and we really have encouraged and actually legislated, uh, and especially through governance, this very myopic uh, focus um, and of course we can talk about profit maximization we can talk about the Friedman view um, but really it goes beyond that it's a sort of um, 
uh, you might say, uh, a series of assumptions that form a sort of ideology about the way in which business uh, and organizations can best contribute to society through the economy. Um, but if we remember, and this is the point that Daly made, that actually the whole of this triangle is the whole of the economy. So economics 101 is that uh, an economy is there to take resources, scarce resources, but also not scarce resources like uh, human uh, endeavor to, um, uh, to, to allocate those for the good of society. Now, if we think about that, the good of society, we can talk about it as, as welfare, utility, and it's been called many things, but let's call it well-being. That tends to be the umbrella which we can capture that in. It's, so it's not any old thing. It's well-being, and it's not for just a few people. It's for everybody, uh, and it's not just for the short term. It's for the long term. Those are fairly basic statements that underpin the fundamental intent of any sort of large-scale system. Um, and you might call it the meta purpose of, of humanity, you might call it the definition of sustainability if you take Brunton's definition and reword it, but ultimately it is the closest uh, that we can get to a statement of um, the ultimate ends of the economy. And of course those ultimate ends uh, are predicated and, and rest firmly on the ultimate means and we might describe those as environmental, social and, and, and social systems and these systems which we're just starting to understand um, as we understand how far we've degraded them give rise to natural human and social capital which you might think of as the ultimate uh, capitals which in turn enable financial and manufactured capital uh, that it can then be uh, transformed in order to create something uh, of worth that can contribute to long-term well-being for all. Um, now, I've added, we, I don't say I, we, I'd say the consensus is to add planet there um, to enable and allow for organizations and people for whom the intrinsic value of nature is an ultimate end. So in the business as usual, the governance system is focused on the middle of triangle, the ultimate ends are actually, you might say, off limits because the way in which we understand the allocation of resources for well-being is that the role of business and organizations is not to focus on the ultimate uh, ends. It's not to focus on well-being, welfare, utility. Um, consumers, uh, so it goes, are the best judges of what's best for their well-being and they can purchase that through the marketplace as long as they have the right information about what's on offer. Uh, and as long as they're acting in their self-interest and maximizing their utility, then all things being equal, um, you'll have the best allocation of, uh, of resources for well-being. And therefore, the role of organizations is definitely not to interfere in that. It's, an, it's, it's about sensing and responding to the market signals in order to uh, provide what people are demanding. And if organizations do that, then they'll be doing their best job uh, to contribute to the well-being of society as a whole. So that's off limits and at the same time the ultimate means have been off balance sheet. So they've not been counted, they've not been focused on and we've operated obviously under an assumption that they are limitless uh, and uh, don't really need to be considered. So the governance I think we'll recognise is that the governance system has been born. Um, I mean governance goes back to Plato of course uh, and beyond or whatever but as a discipline, it's really quite new and it has grown up within the period in which we have consolidated this view of the myopic role of business in society. Now, if you have a governance system that does that, it's quite clear 
um, and, and, and the ultimate ends and the ultimate means are really out of scope. Um, the consequence of that, as we speed up the transformation of resource for inter intermediate ends, um, it's quite clear that the result of that is unsustainability. And really, therefore, the, the answer to how we then govern for a different uh, result is, is also within this triangle. So what we see happening, and I don't have much time to rest and, or dwell on this, but we see governance that's now made a key shift. So all of the foundational assumptions about the economy remain, but the focus over the last decade has been, well, let's do this in the long term. Let's govern for the long term. So this is still about profit maximization. So that is the value, the ultimate value that is to be created. It's still predominantly for shareholders. Um, but the focus moves from the short term to the long term. And in doing that, you enable a, a logic of a decision making that can uh, bring in and open the gates to stakeholderism um, uh, and, and a whole uh, sort of beginnings of system thinking that enable the bottom of this triangle to suddenly start to be noticed, to be accounted for, to be um, uh, governed. And this is where we see uh, ESG coming in. So this is an enlightened self-value view, shareholder view, um, and essentially this encompasses. So the governance, as we've seen it in the UK, um, is, is really trying to do this. And it's just at the very beginning of doing this, because of course we, we, are not, we have not got to grips with these social and environmental systems. We're just about starting to do it with carbon uh, and we're a long way off. Um, but the inflection point we're seeing is a real paradigm shift. So beyond seeing the, the ultimate ends as being, or the, as being essentially the intermediate ends within an organization, i.e. financial capture from a market, we're starting to see that the, the recognition and the pressure that comes from the unsustainability of this system means that organizations are being encouraged to move to a whole system. In other words, a purpose-driven system whose ultimate ends are firmly focused and accountable to the ultimate ends that encompass uh, the middle and the bottom of the triangle and are also clear about the sort of wise and ethical uh, method of, of, of doing that. So here, this is where I would say we're at the inflection point, the shift from not just short-term profit maximization to long-term profit maximization, but a shift to purpose-driven governance. Um, <clears throat> And that is a different way of thinking about the economy, about how organizations operate, about how they're held accountable, and, and really quite a fundamental shift in how we think about governance. So we are at that point, but I think it's very hard for people to articulate the shift that's happening. And this is the thing that I'm trying to attempt to do within my work so that we can see the wood for the trees and we can start to situate and understand the, the scale of the challenge and, and how really quite uh, fast and urgently we need to work to. So ISO 37000 then, it was important I laid that out because really this is where 37000 fits in. 37000 is the first time that the world has come together to say, what is our view of governance that is unleashed from, untethered from that view of governance that has really been born and being consolidated through codes and basically leg legislative and regulatory systems through that middle of the triangle, starting to scope out to the middle and bottom of the triangle to an enlightened view. Um, 
but the pressures are such that globally um, there is a consensus, and we know this because of 37,000, that we need a whole-scale new version of governance that is actually purpose-oriented, um, but that, that still rests on those foundations of governance, uh, but clarifies those. So up until 37,000, what we really relied on were a series of codes that were attached to stock exchanges that were mostly based on um, a, a way of thinking about governance uh, after the horse had bolted in terms of threats and risks to financial investors. And when the proposal for 37,000 came about, there was some skepticism, there was some pushback, but ultimately there was a a huge demand to make this happen. Uh, we did one year of scoping followed by four years of development. There were 77 countries involved, 24 liaisons, over 1,500 unique comments and some of these comments were large and substantial and we discussed every single one with a lot of attention um, as, as a working group. The final ballot um, uh, attracted uh, basically 100% approval uh, and was balloted to 164, all 164 ISO countries, and it was published in September. And here you can see those, the spread, the geographical spread of, of those involved. So just to give you a very brief overview as to ISO 37000, you can see that it has purpose at the centre. Um, and again, so all of this represents the consensus throughout the whole of that process that we arrived. We didn't start at that position, but it was interesting that we ended up there. And in those five years of development, how much the conversation changed. So we have purpose at the center. Um, and then there are four. Uh, so that is the primary governance principle. Then there are four foundational governance principles value generation, strategy, oversight, and accountability. And within that middle and, and, and uh, foundational edge, you can probably recognize the sort of three pillars of governance in, in terms of direction, accountability, and oversight. Direction being purpose, value generation, and strategy, and then oversight and accountability. And then the next layer are the enabling principles. And these are sort of, and, and this is not like a pick and mix, all of these work together to create an integrated system of governance. And then around the edge are, are sort of three key governance outcomes, you might say. So we don't cover those in detail, they're, they're introduced, but actually the heart of the standard are these 11 principles. So briefly, bringing what I said at the beginning in connection with 37,000, and this is my, my personal view, is that if you we, because my view, my, my role was as convener. So I, with Axel Kravatsky um, uh, from Trinidad and Tobago, uh, who's a governance expert, we, we led the process. But as conveners, that meant that sometimes we would take off our hats and be experts. But actually, our role was to, to, to help the consensus emerge uh, by, by facilitating the space. So this, however, is my personal view, that if you take those principles and you reorder them, then you get something that quite matches, you might say, the triangle I presented earlier. So it's clear what the ends governance uh, aspects are, the means governance um, uh, principles, including clause four of the standard, which is on governing body competence. You've got methods um, in terms of the way in which you go about achieving the ends and securing the means. And then oversight and accountability really cut through the middle. So this is a sort of a tube map, you might say, that to show um, how ISO 37000 and this, this new um, vision of organisations um, sort of really do meet in the middle. 
one of the really significant things about 37,000 is the definitions that it brings about. Now, it's easy to read these and go, oh, yeah, there's some definitions, but every single word was debated at length. Uh, there are a lot of definitions in there that were taken from other standards, and that's the best practice. You would start by doing that. Those were also debated at length, but there were some innovations in definitions, which I think are critical for us being able to unite the energy around this, um, the governance that the world wants to bring about. So the definition of governance, for example, uh, that took five years to arrive at um, and, and is an important place of, of consensus. Uh, organizational purpose in terms of clarifying that there is a meaningful reason to exist. So it can't be an intermediary. Finance is, is, is not meaningful because it's symbolic. It doesn't have intrinsic meaning in and of itself. Um, so it's a meaningful reason to exist. And there are some important notes there about the role that purpose plays in, in really shaping all um, performance objectives and, and, and guiding decision-making throughout the organization. Clarification around a governing body versus a governing group. Um, which could be any, any uh, subsidiary boards, uh, executive management groups. And again, that clarification is often not there. Um, and then another important innovation in terms of types of stakeholders, particularly here in terms of member stakeholder and reference stakeholder. So one of the significant things about 37,000 is that it was written for any organization in any country. And that means we have to continually oscillate, not just in terms of does this make sense when translated into any language? But also, does this make sense in terms of any type of organization? Even if you are a one-person organization, does the language allow you to be able to interpret this in your context? If you are government, <laughs> which is an organization, if you are a large multinational corporate, if you are a family business, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so here, member stakeholders are, are encompasses shareholders, but also any um, stakeholder that has a legal uh, influence over the governing body, whereas a reference stakeholder encompasses those stakeholders that the governing body chooses to defer to. Um, so uh, there's, uh, and I've put some links in, in, in this, so hopefully they will be uh, activated in the PDF that you'll get. Um, but there's a whole list of endorsements um, from people who have welcomed 37,000. And here, are, for example, just a couple of quotes from Charles Tilley and George Dallas, but you know, please do look at them uh, at length because really standards are norms. They tell you something about the, about the zeitgeist, about where things are going. So not just does 37,000 in itself do that, but so does the, the sense of the, of the endorsements, what the endorsements say and who, who they're being and who is endorsing. So I'm going to end on one slide here now to say how far 37,000 can take us in our hands. It's not perfect. Of course, it, it never will be. Nothing ever is. It's the start of a journey. And we've gone from a blank piece of paper to the first time that we've been able to create a view, a fundamental foundational view of what good governance in organizations as a practice is, as a discipline is, that's unleashed from its um, relatively myopic um, uh, sort of uh, early development. So, um, so it's up to us to decide how we do that. So firstly, this test, learn and revise is, is really important. 
So this is the central place at which we can come back to and say, actually, we don't agree with that, or that doesn't work for us, or that's too complicated, or what do you mean by that, or we need further guidance on that. So if we care about governance, we want to bring it about, 37,000 is not owned by anyone, it's owned by all of us. Um, and actually, I just want to pause there to say that, that actually um, the, what's really important about ISO is um, that it is just a highly refined international process of consensus building and bringing together and articulating what people globally think about a topic. It is um, connected to national governments, which makes it powerful, but it is one stage removed, so it's independent. So it is probably the only and the most well-defined um, uh, place for a multi-stakeholder engagement on any topic. And given where we are in unsustainability, that global governance voids needs ISO, and we need it to do the job that it does. But again, that's up to us. So we can all get involved in that way. Um, we can also, we could also, I can imagine, and, and I start to see 37,000 being used in legal and regulatory uh, revisions to sort of test thinking, to anchor debate and discussion. So that's at, both at a country level, particularly important for those countries that might um, uh, be uh, wanting to rely on a sort of an international consensus document in order to help bolster their their advances around good governance, um, but also TCFD, which obviously has a governance aspect that's very light on the ground. I would like to see uh, a TGFD, um, a task force uh, on uh, global re uh, governance related financial disclosures. Instead, we see a sort of spattering of governance, but 37,000 gives us the foundation to talk about this seriously in terms of governance. Um, we, we can see it as use in guidance. So for example, the uh, DFI, corporate governance uh, framework, um, uh, the, that's development finance um, uh, institutions. We can see whole-scale gap filling uh, for countries that just want to say, look, okay, we need something on governance, right, let's just use 37,000, not just countries, companies, uh, any organization. And, and, and I will finish in a moment, Mike, but just, just I, I also important to say is that before 37,000, not only did we mostly rely on codes, but you know, governance is relevant for all organizations. But there are many types of organizations or sectors for whom there was no real guidance. So it could be seen that governance is not relevant to you because there's nothing there that's written for you. So what in one fell swoop, what 37,000 does is say, if you, or if you have an organization, governance is relevant to you. And here's an, a standard that can help you understand what good looks like. Um, we, I think, will start to see 37,000 used in in-house and external training um, because it really is that, that base foundation. Um, and then we're also in terms of new standards. So within our working group, we are currently well into developing um, two new standards, 37,004 and 5. And one is guidance for governing bodies on um, understanding, um, using and developing indicators and uh, 37,000 uh, and sorry, that's 37,005, and 37,006 is indicators of good governance, both t really tough topics, um, but couldn't even start to happen without 37,000. And 37,004 is happening in a different working group, and that's about maturity. Uh, I've also been technical author on a British standard, the first national standard in purpose-driven organizations, worldviews, principles and behaviors. That will be launched in June, so really imminently. It's been steered by a whole range of 
um, uh, commercial and other organizations, including JLL, KPMG, but also B Corp and others. Um, and that was normatively aligned to 37,000. And really, it's a staff for us all to lean on in our change endeavors. Um, for organizations that are wanting, wanting to change, you can't do it without good governance. Uh, if we all have to start by working out what that is, it's going to take us a very long time. So 37,000 now exists. Um, it does cost about 150 Swiss francs. I'm trying my best, and as are many others, um, to change uh, that so that it is free, but that happens to be the, the model by which ISO covers its fundamental costs for all standards. But uh, watch this space. Okay, I'll stop there, Mike. Well, thank you very much, Victoria. I know that's a very uh, quick um, run through a very large topic, um, and I'm sure you could have spoken for a lot, a lot longer. Um, I, I think I guess the question for me is um, is how how the standard um, links to uh, sort of sustainability disclosure TF, TCFD. So, if I'm an organisation, particularly maybe working in financial services. Um, you know, I've already got um, several requirements on me to do disclosure. How does how does the uh, thirty-seven thousand tie in with sort of disclosure on sustainability and other uh, relevant disclosure issues? Yeah. Okay. So really, we can think about thirty-seven thousand as that very base foundational um, overview of what good governance is and what good practice is. What it doesn't do is go into so it talks of it there are principles and there are there are practices but it doesn't go to that next level of detail so what it will do is set the foundation and the frame from which you can start to understand why am i disclosing what is it, what is this that i need to understand so for example in the um principle 11 on uh, viability and performance over time it talks about the need for being able to understand all your dependencies, to be able to understand the interconnections and the knock-on effects of what you do. Um, on on um, accountability, it talks about the principles of disclosure, why it's important. So really, you might see this as a frame within which you can then think about the details of disclosure. That's super, thank you. Um, Clive Bullen has a question. Um, just asking about ISO 37000, will it take over from the combined code in the UK, do you think signs that it's going to um, supplant um, current arrangements in the UK? Okay, so uh, again, um, and I think you'll find it interesting to sort of look at, at, at codes against 37,000. Again, they are, it is, well, there's, if you had a Venn diagram, there's a big overlap, it's also quite distinct. So it will not talk about, you know, um, uh, details of director's duties or, you know, details of diversity or you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but it will again set those principles uh, and goes beyond um where we are at in terms of that so whereas the codes are often scattergun they don't give a lot of rationale behind why and they don't provide an integrated whole that's what 37000 will do i would hope i i i think what 37000 does is set the kind of the marker for where we're going where we need to go and i would hope that in any revision both those at the heart of the revision but the stakeholders pushing for change the more that we lean on 37000 the more we can because it, it, it is aligned with the future that we need to bring about 
but it also means that all countries that are revising their codes are not pulling in different directions, that we can pull in the same direction. And that is so critical because it just costs so much in time and energy, the, the, the dispersion. Thank you very much. Um, Hugh Purser and Nick Bush have both hit upon different aspects of the kind of uh, the reward system, I guess. Um, Hugh Purser is asking, is there a simple way to reward business for adopting an approach which looks at the ultimate ends of, um, of business? Um, and Nick Bush says, you know, where will compliance start to affect business performance? I, um, how do you see this working in a sense? People will say, well, uh, you won't get business or you won't get investment unless you comply with this standard. Hmm. Well, it's a guidance standard, uh, firstly, to be clear. So it's not a compliance standard. That doesn't mean that there aren't, uh, and it's not an auditable standard. That doesn't mean that it might not become one or will in effect become one through uh, regulation. So I think that really will depend. Um, I mean, I'm I'm not a futurist. Uh, I, I often say this. I'm not a futurist. But yet, over the last 20 years, very little about what's happening now is a surprise. Because once you understand the fundamentals of unsustainability, it's easy to see what's coming. So I can I, I can imagine that we can that organizations could start to see 37,000 as that new governance compliance agenda how and when that comes about uh, I, I don't know i think that we are in such pressing pressured times and we are not in control of those variables because they are in motion uh, at, a, at a level that's much deeper than us um, that i think it could happen it could happen very quickly. Um, so I'm just glad that 37,000 is there so that we do have something solid that we can turn to uh, when we start, when organizations start to cry out to say, look, hang on a minute, um, you're asking for us for, to do a different type of governance, but you're all asking something different. Can we just kind of, let's say, use this and, and go from there? Um, so I don't know if that answered that the, the question about about the sort of compliance where when I think and how I think that might come back. The, the first question, Mike, could you just remind me of? Yeah, the first question was uh, about carrot and six. Is there a simple way to reward businesses for adopting um, uh, ultimate ends or, or, or adopting a purpose-based approach which looks beyond the intermediate timeline? Well, that's really interesting. I mean, ultimately, the shift to business focusing and being purpose-driven aligned fundamentally with long-term well-being for all, i.e. sustainability. That is, um, it, it, it is, it is the deepest level of paradigm shift in a way that in, if you use, it's, it's a paradox because if you try and become purpose-driven in order to maximize your finance, that's, you lose the point, right? <laughs> um, and on the other hand, we need people to go on the journey. So what I imagine will happen first is that the new compliance agenda is the bottom of the triangle. That's where ESG is ultimately going. Um, and we need purpose-driven businesses to start to go ahead of legislation because it's going to take us too long to get there. That's, I think, the bit where we will start to get real carrots and sticks going. I think it's going to be so hard for organizations to, to, to innovate in order to comply there that they will then think and this is what we see happening all the time you know what we need we, let, let's rethink all of this what are we doing and that's where often purpose gets born because someone will come in um a ceo or the board ideally will start to say look 
Do we need to rethink, you know, why we exist in the first place? What are we really trying to do here? Because if you start to try to comply with all of these little things, it's going to be very, very painful. And that's where you see the flip to purpose. So I would say in terms of carrot and stick, I think we'll start to see this part coming, um, you know, bottom of the triangle. And I do think we will start and we are starting to see legislation allowing for purpose driven organizations. And of course, you may have heard of the Better Business Act. And what they're trying to do is, is and, and B Corp who are aligned with that, is to gradually move us at least to dual purpose, which is a very painful place for an organization to be, but ultimately, unfortunately, um, we can't flip all the way to purpose. Um, so I think we will start to see, I think we will start to see some carrots and stick towards purpose. Um, and ultimately it will become the, the frame within which we operate. But I'd say first we're going to see bottom of the triangle and we are, we are seeing it now. Thank you. Um, Olivia Bosch has just, just put a comment in where saying that um, the ISO on compliance management is also newly updated, um, which is ISO 37301 um, 2021, um, which replaced the, um, the previous one. But um, and I think that is relevant um, to say these things um, going hand in hand um as we go forward it's in the same technical committee so what happened when we started 37,000? it started at the same time as the so so the technical committee sort of holds a topic it's like a governing group for a topic and this is so this was the first time that there was a governing group uh, a technical committee on governance and as that started so um did uh, i started chairing the work on 37,000, so that was set up, but compliance sits under it as does uh, anti-bribery. Um, and um, and then you have aligned work like risk um, risk management that sits in a different committee, but was very uh, connected and IT governance. So we, we did all work quite closely together. And what you're seeing now, which is interesting, is lots of revisions in the context of 37,000. Because before 37,000, what you had was a series of management system standards and others that would talk about governance, sometimes just calling it top management, sometimes not even using the governance word. It was, it was, it was a mess, to be honest. Um, all governance wasn't mentioned at all. So now that we have it, um, yes, it's important to note that, that that what will happen is revisions in relation to 37,000. Oh, and the other, the other one in our committee, by the way, is whistleblowing. So that actually um, uh, has also been published recently uh, and has, has, has quickly become very popular. Yeah. Um, Michael Parker asked a question, which I think has been asked ever since people started thinking in terms of governance, which is, is good governance subjective? Uh, <laughs> how, how, how do we measure how do we measure in this area okay yes i mean ultimately uh you know from a human perspective everything is subjective but um uh you know but but when it comes to anything like this what what we're what we're seeing happening is that we understand that there's subjective and there's objective so i'd say one of the big inflection points is that we've had the luxury while we ignored the bottom of the triangle we had the luxury of pretending that um whatever every anyone's values were were what values were and, and everyone can have their own values and it's all fine and and we can all you know we can all benefit optimally from this system and now of course we're realizing it does matter what we think that the value is that we're trying to create it cannot just be subjective there has to be a sort of a shared sense of 
what is and this is where the well-being agenda is coming in um, because if you've got to make tough choices with highly scarce resources you have to know what you think that good looks like so in terms of governance i would say and in terms of measuring so that's what we're trying to do at the moment is say what are the indicators of good governance i would say um what what we're seeing it's the same in, in all levels this is not about subjective or objective this is about a multiple multiple ways of trying to understand what it is that we're looking at but um i would say that when it comes to for example in 37,000, you have a list of, of, of practices and things that the governing body ought to be doing. So if you can measure whether the governing body is doing that, then you have a sense of being able to understand it. Whether you use subjective or objective measures, that's what the work of the group is now trying to work out the best way of doing that. Um, but the, I suppose the bigger point is we have to get to the point of being able to measure, because I honestly think we are going to die from compliance to a million different things if we continue to bet on horses rather than create the frame within which we need to operate and governance is that frame and unless we get really good at governing governance i i i we're, we're going to kill the innovation that we need to make this happen and therefore we need to be able to measure it so one way or another i think we got to get there um christopher cleedle's got a, a, a comment a commentary and question i guess um he says that purpose is perhaps in itself a subjective term. Uh, ESG, for example, develops bias towards one silo within an organisation over another, uh, might miss the feedback loops between decisions. Um, but it, when you were talking, you spoke about the development of systems thinking uh, alongside um, purpose-driven organisations. It's just wondering, is there not sort of a disconnect between those two things, that when if you're reinforcing particular purpose of an organisation, therefore a particular management silo, um, how does that fit with um, the development of system thinking? Okay, yeah, really interesting question. I would say uh, I'm going to be doing another one of these sessions on purpose-driven organisations, and that's where I can really delve into that question also to some of the others that um, I maybe only partially answered. Um, because, and, and the key is that if we can say that, um, that long-term well-being for all people and planet is the best description we have of a shared purpose, a meta-purpose, you might say, of society as a whole, um, then purpose becomes the optimal strategic contribution that an organisation can make to that. Whilst, and this is all in PAS 808, which will be published in June, whilst uh, making sure that there is a non-negotiable fair contribution to securing the bottom of the triangle and doing it in a wise and ethical method. So what you end up with is setting this broad frame that is ultimately accountable to long-term well-being for all. That is the, even the accountability of the purposes, well, is this an optimal contribution to long-term well-being for all people on the planet or not? And because you have clarity over that, both you and your stakeholders can constantly question and interrogate that. That gives the broadest frame within which systems thinking can happen, rather than what's happened, which is we've forgotten the point of sustainability is long-term well-being for all. We've got myopically focused on the pillars, but pillars are pillars to something. We've forgotten the something. We focused on the pillars and then we look at trading off between them, you know, and, and that misses the point. So this is why we have to create this frame. And what I've been trying to do is to, is to sort of articulate what I think we're all saying. You know, we have that frame. We just need to clarify it and then we need to govern against it. Yeah. 
Okay, we've probably got time. We've, we've got about three, three questions left, which will need quick answers because given the time uh, we have left. Um, Rod Bullman is asking, how can we incentivize good government? Um, Bob Compton asks sort of two related questions. First of all, can ISO 37000 be used for pension fund governance? Um, and who actually grants an organization the standard? Um, so, you know, to get the sand is 158 francs, whatever. Um, but what is the time and cost involved in shifting to achieve the standard? And who grants you the status of having met it? Okay, no one grants you it because it's a guidance standard. So it is a voluntary compliance uh, agenda. Um, and the cost of it depends how good your governance is now or not. Um, I think we all recognize that the governance we need uh, compared to the governance we have, and that's what the triangle tried to articulate, is, is, is an order of magnitude different. And we need to rethink, rethink governance, rethink uh, to the first question, how we incentivize it, what the expectations are, because we're governing for something very, very different. We're governing for the whole triangle, not just the middle of the triangle, and that is going to be very different. Um, and until we can understand that and get our heads around that, I, we've got nowhere. So I don't have a good answer um, we have to innovate that, but the first thing we need to do is be clear what we're incentivizing for, um, and that's what this is trying to do. And the middle question, that's the one. Uh, middle question, um, can it be used for pension fund governance? And I presume yes, because your the intention is to provide a, a standard which can be used by any type of organisation, any size of yeah. organisation, whatever. And any, and that's why it's also really helpful for complex organisations operating in multiple uh, jurisdictions, multiple frames that, yes, have all those legal compliance agendas, but really want to try to understand something uh, deeper, maybe hybrid, maybe they have a social enterprise as well as, you know, so it, 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 yeah, it really is for, for for everyone. And therefore, it has limitations in terms of we couldn't really provide examples. We couldn't go down into a, a, a you know, a, a low level of detail of practice, because once you start doing that, you start excluding some groups and not others. So it rests at a certain level necessarily so and going forward we may see more sector specific guidance but yes absolutely it, it is for everyone and just encourage everyone you know use it test it gather your insights and feed them back into the process because it will be revised and and it's the start it's the start of our shared collective um uh, energy around uh, creating the governance we need yeah and governing the governance we need <laughs> Super. Well, thank you very much. Um, it's been a fascinating um, and generated some really good questions and, and discussion. Um, and um, those of you with got eagle eyes on the chat box will see we put a link in there to Victoria's next webinar, um, which is up there in the chat box. So don't forget to register for that one as well. Um, as usual on these, these occasions, I have a few rounds of thanks. First of all, uh, to thank the sponsors of the FS Club um for enabling us to run um really interesting uh, webinars such as the one this afternoon uh, we are really are grateful for their support um and secondly to thank um you for attending um for taking an interest in uh, the work uh, victoria set out this afternoon um and finally to say a big thank you to you victoria for your time uh, and your uh, voluntary efforts over the years uh, in terms <laughs> of, uh, of uh, bringing the standard together. Um, it does uh, sound like a, a really good uh, move forward. Yeah, uh, finally, you, just to say, I was just going to say, if anyone wants to connect on LinkedIn, I, I'm on there because it it's, uh, feels like I haven't got to know anyone. But anyway, thanks, Mike. <laughs>
I suspect people will will follow up. Um, th those of you who've asked questions, um, I'll pass on some details to Victoria. So if there's further uh, discussions she'd like to have with any of you, she should get, get in touch. Um, but yes, uh, LinkedIn is, of course, the way forward um, for all things now in terms of connecting with people. Um, just to mention, we've got some, some other um, brilliant events coming up um, on Tuesday. Um, to trust or not to trust when buying or selling cryptocurrencies and some work on how you get underneath uh, what is a, a good deal or not. Um, next uh, Wednesday, we're having a face-to-face -face event, the FS Club Spring Garden Party. Um, if you haven't signed up for it and you want to come along, uh, please do uh, go onto the website and uh, sign up there. Um, and on Friday next week, the Employee Share Schemes and Trustees Conference in Jersey, um, which uh, is, 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 is part of our work. Uh, finally, uh, week on Monday, chopstick culture and the success of, success of East Asian economies. So um, quite a varied mix of things coming up over the next week or so. Um, once again, Victoria, thank you very much. I'm afraid I can't open this to the audience to um, thank you directly. So you'd have to make up, make do rather very small round of applause. Um, but it's been a delight and we very much look forward also to your, your next session with us. Thank you very thank much. You. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, everyone. Bye.